This is the World in Brief from The Economist. Our top stories. John Lee was inaugurated as the new chief executive of Hong Kong on the 25th anniversary of the handover from British to Chinese rule. Mr. Lee is the first leader drawn from the security services. Following the ceremony, Xi Jinping, China's president, made a speech defending the, quote, one country, two systems formula. On Thursday, Boris Johnson, Britain's prime minister, accused China of breaking its promises on the territory. Inflation in the eurozone hit a record 8.6% in June, with energy prices increasing at an annual rate of 41.9%, according to estimates released on Friday. Food, alcohol, and tobacco prices increased by 8.9%. The figures will put pressure on the European Central Bank to raise interest rates faster to stem inflation. A ship carrying 7,000 tons of cereal left the Russian-occupied Ukrainian port city of Berdansk, destined for, quote, friendly countries, according to a member of the pro-Russia administration there. Russia's blockade of food exports from Ukraine is causing misery around the world. Hours earlier, Russian missile strikes on an apartment building and a recreation center killed 21 people, including a child, near Odessa, a port city in the south of Ukraine. A ban in India of 19 types of single-use plastic, including plastic cups and cutlery, came into force. The country currently produces around 3.5 million tons of plastic every year. Environmentalists celebrated the new rules but emphasized the importance of proper enforcement. Street vendors were more wary, citing the limited supplies and higher costs of alternatives. Recep Tayyip Erdogan demanded that Sweden extradite 73 people whom Turkey accused of terrorism or risk losing his support to join NATO. Turkey's president said Sweden promised to deport them, though no such commitment appeared in the country's joint memorandum with Finland about NATO accession on Tuesday. The ultimatum, issued at the end of the alliance's summit in Madrid, threatened to reopen a dispute that appeared resolved just days ago. In the first half of this year, American stock markets fell by the largest amount since 1970. By Thursday, the S&P 500 had plunged by 20.6%. The Nasdaq dropped by 29.5%, its worst first half ever. Meanwhile, consumer spending in America slowed in May for the first time this year, suggesting that the economy has contracted for the second consecutive quarter. A group of black Tesla workers filed a racial discrimination lawsuit against the company, claiming they experienced regular racial abuse and harassment at its factories. The new suit, filed by 15 current and former workers, joins at least nine other lawsuits alleging racial or gender-based discrimination at the company. And word of the week. Malos pasos. Wrong path in Spanish. At least 100,000 people are missing in Mexico. Victims are often dismissed as having taken the wrong path and their disappearances ignored by officials. And now, here's a deeper look at the day ahead. Pressure piles on Ukraine. Ukraine may have celebrated the liberation of the strategic Snake Island, but threats are multiplying elsewhere. Early on Friday, Russian airstrikes killed 21 people near the southern port city of Odessa. 
In the North, concerns that Belarus will take a more formal part in the war have prompted Ukraine to fortify its borders. Alexander Lukashenko, the Belarusian dictator, gave Russia free use of his territory, weapons, and military facilities in February, but avoided sending his poorly equipped troops to Ukraine. That would be unpopular at home, yet Russia is dialing up the pressure. Alexei Danilov, Ukraine's head of national security, confirmed that, quote, readiness checks had been carried out on forces in northern border regions on Thursday and said seven Belarusian battalions had mobilized close to Ukraine. A highly placed Ukrainian intelligence source says any new incursion would be met with a decisive show of force. But he suggests the main aim of the movements is to distract Ukraine from fighting in the east. Quote, Putin is piling the pressure on, says the official. India's Shrinking Space for Dissent Along with other leaders at the G7 summit on June 27th, Narendra Modi, India's prime minister, promised to protect the, quote, freedom, independence, and diversity of civil society. Yet the same day, police in Delhi arrested Mohammed Zubair, the co-founder of a fact-checking website, over a tweet deemed to have hurt religious feelings. Days earlier, Tista Setelvad, a human rights activist, was arrested on charges of fabricating evidence and committing a criminal conspiracy. She has spent years trying to prove that senior officials in the state of Gujarat, and above all, Mr. Modi himself, stoked deadly sectarian riots in 2002. On Saturday, Ms. Setelvad will appear in court to learn if she will remain in police custody. She can expect little relief. India's courts are ever more deferential to the government. On June 24th, the Supreme Court upheld a ruling that cleared Mr. Modi of complicity in the 2002 riots and appeared to suggest that Ms. Setelvad should be prosecuted for her efforts to challenge the government. China's past, Hong Kong's future When the Hong Kong Palace Museum was formally proposed in 2016, it was excoriated by pro-democracy lawmakers as a pet project of government officials eager to please Beijing. Conveniently, as the museum opens on Saturday, many of its critics are behind bars. The multi-billion dollar project was intended to strengthen Hong Kongers' appreciation for Chinese culture through exhibits of prized Chinese artifacts. In June, Carrie Lam, the outgoing chief executive, pitched the museum as a way to enhance the city's, quote, cultural confidence and the sense of national pride. A tall order. After years of repression, just 2% of Hong Kong youth identify as Chinese rather than as Hong Kongers. Opposition lawmakers used to do what they could to fight for transparency and accountability by scrutinizing politicized and lavishly funded projects. None of them is in the legislature anymore. The new museum displays some remarkable centuries-old Chinese objects. It is also a memorial to what Hong Kong used to be. The Tour de France kicks off Cyclists in the Tour de France are known to indulge in a few pre- and post-race rituals. Riders will not shave their legs on the eve of competition lest their bodies expend energy regrowing hair. Afterwards, dentists will mend cyclists' teeth ground down during the event. This year's tour, which begins in Copenhagen on Friday, covers 3,353 kilometers, roughly the same distance as that between the American-Canadian border and Mexico City. To stay in contention, riders will have to average around 40 kilometers per hour on rural roads, 
up lung-busting mountain passes, and even along sections of slippery, bone-shaking cobblestones. Tade Pogacar, a 23-year-old Slovenian, is gunning for his third consecutive victory. Chris Froome, a British veteran who has claimed the Mayo Jean four times, is back in the saddle after three years and may ruin Mr. Pogacar's winning streak. After three weeks of pain, the champion will roll down the Champs-Élysées in Paris on July 24th. Weekend Profile Bongbong Marcos, the Philippines' new president Ferdinand Bongbong Marcos Jr. and his wife Lisa Araneta Marcos love Marvel movies. One day late last year, they were watching Ant-Man, a film about a superhero who can manipulate his size, when he turned to her and said, Okay, we're going to do this. Do what? Mrs. Araneta Marcos asked. Run for the presidency, replied Mr. Marcos, who is universally known as Bongbong. On June 30th, he was inaugurated as President of the Philippines and soon after arrived at Malahanyang Palace, his official residence for the next six years. For Bongbong, aged 64, it was a homecoming. He first moved into Malahanyang in 1965 as a seven-year-old when his father, Ferdinand Marcos, became president. They stayed until 1968 when Marcos Sr., who declared martial law in 1972 and whose reign descended into a brutal kleptocratic dictatorship, was forced into exile by a popular, peaceful revolution. The Marcoses are thought to have plundered billions of state money while in power. It has been said they took millions of dollars of cash, gold bars, and jewelry with them when they fled. Looking back, Bong Bong remembers those years fondly. Quote, you were a little spoiled, especially as a kid. You were very well attended to. You were very well cared for, he told CNN Philippines in April. Marcos Sr. died in 1989, and the family was allowed to return to the Philippines in 1991. Imelda, Bong Bong's mother, immediately set about trying to rehabilitate the family name. She ran for the presidency and lost badly. But Bong Bong won a seat in the House of Representatives from the Marcos's traditional stronghold of Ilocos Norte in the north of the country. He has served as a congressman, senator, or governor for most of the past 30 years. In 2016, he ran for a vice presidency, but lost narrowly. On May 9th, he trounced his closest rival for the presidency. With 59% of the vote, he has the strongest mandate of any president since his father. The victory probably means less to Mr. Marcos, who observers and friends describe as, quote, laid back, than it does to his mother. Imelda, now 92, never accepted that Filipinos had turned against her family or admitted any wrongdoing. Indeed, none of the Marcoses has ever apologized for the cruelty or plunder of the dictatorship. With Bong Bong back in Malahanyang, she will stand vindicated. As for Bong Bong himself he could not resist using his inauguration speech to praise his father's rule. He got things done, Bongbong said. Quote, so will it be with his son. The winners of this week's quiz. Thank you to everyone who took part in this week's quiz. The winners, chosen at random from each continent, were Asia, Jinhong Park, Suwon, South Korea. North America, Umesh Balasubramaniam, San Diego, United States. Central and South America, Hinez Sanchez, Panama City, Panama. Europe, Serban Ionescu, Bucharest, Romania. Africa, Hassan Aloui, Rabat, Morocco. Oceania, Ewan Mackenzie Bowie, Auckland, New Zealand.
They all gave the correct answers of Carol Mosley Braun, Oliver Hardy, in The Bleak Midwinter, The Times, and Mutual Funds. The theme is Charles Dickens' novels, A Christmas Carol, Oliver Twist, Bleak House, Hard Times, and Our Mutual Friend. And visit the Espresso app for our new weekend crossword, designed for experienced cruciverbalists and newcomers alike. Finally, here's the quote of the day from Wisława Zimborska, who was born on this day in 1923. Any knowledge that doesn't lead to new questions quickly dies out. It fails to maintain the temperature required for sustaining life. That's the World in Brief from The Economist, available three times every day of the week. You can also hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, on your podcast app. And subscribers to The Economist have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app to start listening.